Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. I want to talk about miscarriage on the show today and why we don't offer more supports to women after a miscarriage. It's not my own story, but I was talking to friends recently about dealing with miscarriage and the trauma that they're going through, the need to grieve and not really being able to have the space to do that because we don't have specific miscarriage leave at all points in this country. So they can't do that. And I know from talking to friends, we've talked about everything that you need to process what's happened. The fact that maybe they have to tell family and friends for whom they've you know, told their news that they were pregnant. Maybe they have to tell their employer and work. Um, and then not having the space to do that. Not having the time to acknowledge that it is a bereavement and to grieve. And for some, in some cases, it's trying not to blame themselves. Um, Many unanswered questions. But I imagine it must be a very different experience for different people. So I wanted to set time aside today to chat to people about this, if they feel up to talking, and and many, many of you do. Because I know the one thing that really upsets um, people I've spoken to, friends that I've heard their stories is that you often go to the doctor after a miscarriage and maybe they have a sick cert. Um, that, you know, they, they need some time to process what's happened and they're given a, a sick cert uh, from the doctor to give to their employer. And it might then in brackets, you know, in the title say pregnancy related illness. And for a lot of people, I know that is very upsetting because they're not sick and they don't have an illness. They're grieving and they're going through a bereavement. And we're asking today, why don't we have more supports for women when they're going through this? And why don't we have some form of better miscarriage leave? 1800 453 106 is the number if you want to share your story with us on the programme today. I know Sinead is, uh, Sinead's on the line. Sinead, this is something that you've gone through. What's your story? Hi, um, thanks for having me on today to talk about this. It's such an important topic. Um, we, myself and my husband, um, started trying for number three back in 2020, early 2020. Um, I had two children already, very breezy pregnancies. Um, but yeah, we, we got pregnant in the April and about five and a half weeks later, I started to miscarry at home. Um, lockdown had just started at the end of March. So I obviously opened to Hollow Street um, and it kind of, it was ongoing over a couple of weeks as the, you know, the miscarriage progressed at home and hospital visits, etc. Um, and initially, I I kind of didn't take any time off work. I had logged in the next morning, and I, I I was just I was all over the place. I didn't know how to approach my my manager about it, like whether to tell her what was going on and that it could be an ongoing thing. Um, so I ended up ultimately having to take a couple of weeks off um, due to having a, a DNC with that pregnancy. Um, and then off the back of that, I got pregnant again. So in the July, we found out we were pregnant again. Um, very excited, very nervous, obviously. Yeah. Um, restrictions had kind of lifted a little bit, but my husband still wasn't allowed into the scan. We went for a private scan. Um, I should have been about seven and a half weeks pregnant and went into the scan and there was no baby in my uterus. So as you can imagine, I lay there going, no, but all of these tests have shown that I'm pregnant. Um, so there was lots of terms thrown around, ectopic and molar and all of these um, different types of, of pregnancy loss. And 
again, back into Hollis Street um, to be told that it was most likely an ectopic pregnancy. Um, so I worked that whole week. I, I just logged in as, as normal. My head was all over the place. Um, and on the Friday then, I was actually admitted to Hollis Street because they couldn't locate the pregnancy. And my my levels were still rising, so they were starting to get a bit concerned. Um, so I spent the weekend in hospital. I then had the surgery on the Monday. So I took the Monday off work to remove the pregnancies and my, my left tube as a result. Um, and then the following day, I, I logged back into work because I was so worried that I had just taken two weeks off in um, the April. Sorry, I actually get really emotional when I think about that time. Um, take your time, I took Sinead, two take weeks your off um, in the April. And I just felt that I, you know, I was only on a contract at the time. I just felt that I couldn't take any more time off. So I had had the surgery on the Monday and I logged back into work on the Tuesday. Um, then we waited a little while and we tried again um, and found out we were pregnant. I think it was around October time. Again, very excited, very nervous, had scans and everything was going really well. Um, and at about the nine and a half week mark, I again was at home and I just felt different. Like nothing had happened as such, but... I phoned Hollis Street and said, look, I'm just a bit concerned that there might be something wrong. And they said, look, you're more than welcome to come in. We would never turn you away. But, you know, you're probably just feeling a bit nervous. But come on in and we'll give you a quick scan to see. Um, and unfortunately, um, when I went in that day, they couldn't find a heartbeat. So I um, had to have another procedure then um, in the December. And I think, again, I only took a couple of days off work because I was just so concerned for my job. And I, I was... You know, I, I didn't want to have to take any more time off. Um, and then I had another a chemical miscarriage in the January, um, and I didn't take any time off for that. I just, at that point, I think I felt a bit numb inside myself. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's just, it, it's a really tricky one because, you know, it, it's your choice to continue to try. Um, we did try again one more time um, after that and we did go on to have a healthy pregnancy and a very healthy Good. man. He's, really, he's 20 months now. Yeah. Um, so there is a very happy ending to our story um, but not without the trauma that came with it. You know, obviously I still get very emotional when I think about that time in our lives. It was it, I can it understand. Really it's, you've you've had a yeah. you had a really difficult time, Sinead. Office. There's no no question about that. Um, I know from talking to people myself, Sinead. It's it's the like as you said there. It's that fear sometimes of maybe going to your employer or whoever you're working with, and even telling them that you're you're pregnant again. That is is it a confidence thing to to be able to do? You know what I mean? To go back in having gone through. The, through a miscarriage and then the, is it the fear that's a fear preventing you from really chatting to your employer and saying look I'm, I'm pregnant again for fear of yeah, what might I, happen like, you know I'd be quite an open person um, so you know my manager was absolutely wonderful at the time and she was so so supportive so you know it, it was probably it was more on me that I felt very aware and very kind of I, I don't know just I, I don't know. It's it's really, it, it's kind of each each person. It's a very personal thing whether mm. you tell people you're pregnant or not. You know, I would have told family and friends very early on because I wanted to celebrate these little lives, you know, and I wanted to have that happy time that I was telling people. And so I would always have told people very early on in the pregnancies. Um, and I would have felt the same with work because I didn't really want to hide anything from them because I also didn't know, like I had never experienced a miscarriage before my first one. And I was, completely traumatized from it like it was one of the most horrific things I've ever experienced um so 
if they had a, a miscarriage leave, it would just make such a difference to thousands and thousands of, of couples and women because mm. it is sadly very common to have miscarriage. And, you know, over the last couple of years, there has definitely been an incredible shift in the conversation and more people are, you know, feeling like they can talk about it more openly. Um, but yeah, I think we have a long, way to, a long way to go in terms of supporting women when they're going through this time because it is, it is a very traumatic thing to go through and it's not something to be belittled, you know, like these little, little sparks, as I call them, you know, these little lives, they mean so much to people from the moment you see those two lines on the test. It doesn't matter how, how far gone you are. It doesn't matter when, you know, the, the pregnancy ends effectively. But yeah. it's, it's just, it would, well, it's it would a be, loss. it's a loss. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you- for the government to recognize it as a loss and not just, you know, it's kind of this, if you're past 24 weeks, it's recognized and that's incredible. But, you know, I, my first one was at five and a half weeks and I, again, I, I was completely, as mm. I said, completely traumatized. It was a huge loss for us as a family as well. Well, as you say, it, it is, Sinead, at, at a certain point and, and, and in your own story, like you've shared it today and, and, and thank you for, for sharing it and, and so eloquently as well. Like, I, I know it, it can't be easy to talk about it. I, I know as well, even from, you know, talking to people in my own life who, you know, have gone through the same same process as you at maybe 12 and 14 and, and 16 weeks and and not being given the time to grieve. Do you think, Sinead, looking back, um, because it's very recent, like your, you know, your miscarriages are very recent. Do you, yeah. do you think you have grieved? Um, well, talking to you now and how emotional I get when I think about it, well, probably not, no. And I, like I, I would have suffered severe anxiety in my, you know, my last pregnancy um, when Albie arrived December 21 and it, it turned into a whole different anxiety when he arrived because I just think it was all, it had all built up over the previous year. And when that relief, when he, you know, when he arrived, it was just mm-hmm. so huge and overwhelming. Um, but I don't even get me started on mental health supports either because that's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. um, because trying to get support in in that regard in this country is also very, very, very difficult and the waiting list are just out the door. So, you know, it is, I have previous experience with grief. Um, my husband passed away suddenly when I was pregnant with my first child. So I did go to a counsellor for years after that. Um, so I, I suppose for myself, I had my own tools that I kind of knew where I was at mentally and how to kind of deal with it and where to take the time for myself and try to process things. Um, and includes my family as well in, in the grieving process. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think I ever did fully or will ever fully grieve because where do you get the time as well? You know, it's, you know, you're working and you have kids and you have life goes on, sadly. Um, but no, it, it would be absolutely incredible for, for the government to actually bring in some paid miscarriage leave yeah. for women and families and couples to allow them to grieve together for, you know, the life that they had imagined with this little, with this little human that, you know, there, there no longer will be. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, it, it, it's just, it's such an important topic. So thank you again for, for highlighting. Well, you know, thank you for sharing your story. And Sinead, just in listening to you, you've, you've really, like, you've really gone through the mill. You've really had a... <laughs> I should write the book. 
yeah, you've really, you know, you've had an incredibly tough time of it and it sounds like it's all very, very recent. So I I really appreciate you sharing your story today in the programme. Um, stay with us if you don't mind. I've got Siobhan is with us too. Siobhan is on the line as well. Um, what's your experience, Siobhan? Well, listening to Sinead there and you never actually get over the loss and I actually did write the book. I was so frustrated and upset and I couldn't believe the lack of support, the lack of information, the lack of empathy. My first miscarriage was a really, really horrific experience. My husband was made to wait outside. I was in there. I was in an emergency room with women who were all full term and they were all having, they were all being admitted to, they were all in labour and I was losing my baby and I was trying not to cry because I didn't want to ruin what was a happy day for them while I was having, obviously, a really, really bad time. So the fact that I was even put into that position, that any woman would be put in a position where she has to stifle her cries because she doesn't want to take away the joy from the women who are about to have full-term healthy babies, that's obviously very, very distressing, and it's wrong. Um, I went and I tried to find books and information after it, and they were all very clinical and all very, I just couldn't, they were all written by doctors. There was nothing emotional in them. I wanted to know... Why did I want to fling a frying pan at the wall? I was so angry. I was so, I was so angry. Um, and I did go for counselling and the counsellor, and this is maybe something that your listeners and Sinead could take on board. The counsellor said to me, <clears throat> write a diary every day. Write how you feel, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, but end the diary with something positive. So I had one child before my first miscarriage, so I had a healthy pregnancy, and then my second pregnancy resulted in miscarriage at 13 weeks. It was such a shock because I'd had a healthy pregnancy. I couldn't believe this was happening. It was a horrific experience, and I was in and out of the hospital. I was bleeding for a few days. And the other thing that was really distressing was the lack of information that they gave me. So I didn't know... I would bleed a lot. I didn't know there would be a lot of pain. I didn't know those kind of things. And, and that scared me. I thought there was something wrong. So I was having a, a natural, complete miscarriage. There was a lot of pain. It was like labor pains. It was really distressing. But if they had have told me, you will have a lot of blood, you will have a lot of pain, I, I wouldn't have panicked as much. I mean, obviously, it was distressing, but the lack of information. And then when... The, the miscarriage had happened. Um, I remember a doctor saying to me, it's, it's, it's a miscarriage and he didn't even make eye contact. And that was really distressing because once you get those two little lines on a pregnancy test, your life changes and you can't go back to how it was before then. You imagine Christmas is going to be different. We're going to have another child. You think about the future, the holidays, your whole vision of your future changes. And then when you lose that baby, you can't just click your fingers and go back to the vision that you had before then. It doesn't work like that. So you have to try and find a way to live with the grief, cope with the grief. The Miscarriage Association are incredible. They, Every single person who volunteers there has been through miscarriage. They all really, really understand. They have support group meetings. They have a free number you can call. They have a website. You can go on and you can leave a message for your baby on the website. So you can write something to your baby. So things like that are, are helpful because you're acknowledging this life and you're, you're, you're making a mark for that baby. Yeah, a tool nearly as Sinead described it. Everyone probably finds, you know, their own ways or tools to try and, 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 and deal with it. Do you think... Yeah. Um, do you were you given time 
Siobhan to grief? Um, on my first miscarriage, not really. Um, no, there was no, I, I, I didn't even know how to tell people. I mean, my family knew I was pregnant and they knew I'd lost the baby, but friends and people that I hadn't told, I felt uncomfortable even telling them that I'd been pregnant and that I'd lost the baby. It's a very uncomfortable situation. People that you work with, you may or may not have told them. And then you have to tell them, oh, I was pregnant and I've lost a baby. It's very difficult. So, yeah, it would be nice if there was some sort of compassionate leave uh, available to women and men. I have to say, my husband really struggled when we had our first miscarriage. He really, really struggled. We didn't know how to cope with this. We didn't know how to talk to each other about it. We really didn't know what to do. Um, And I kept a diary for a couple of months and I was so angry and I was angry with him I was angry with everybody and he asked me could he read it and I said no because I said you won't like what's in it and he ended up reading it and then we ended up sitting up half the night crying and talking it was really therapeutic in yeah, the end and it was that, a counselling session nearly in its own way yeah, and that got turned into a book. So that's yeah. literally... I should that, say, that sorry as well, Siobhan, that it's, it's, it's titled We Lost Our Baby, One Couple Story yes. of Miscarriage and, and it's so after. we did it together. I think it's really important because the dads are very... and Or even same-sex couples, sometimes the person who's not physically going through it is a little bit pushed aside. Like yeah. he, my husband was made to wait outside and things like that. So they're pushed aside and they obviously need support as well. Um, another thing that we, we had a second miscarriage and the two miscarriages were so different. One was a complete miscarriage, but the next one, I was I was weeks and weeks waiting for the miscarriage to happen. They told me the baby had died and I was, my belly was getting bigger and the miscarriage wasn't happening and they kept telling me to wait and to wait. And eventually I had to have um, a DNC and that was actually, I found that was merciful because I was so distraught at going around knowing there was no baby, but my belly was growing. It was very upsetting. Um, so I was actually relieved to have the DNC. Very different very experiences. Traumatic. Very traumatic. And what we do is we talk about the babies. So we remember them on their due dates and we have okay. a tree planted in the garden for them. And the, my other children, so we have four children, at Christmas time, we have a little tree that we put in the kitchen and we have, every year, the Miscarriage Association has like a, it's like a mass, but it's not, it's not a religious, it's more like a remembrance. It's really nice. And you can get a little decoration there, a little Newbridge silverware decoration, and they're like little memorial decorations. And we have those on a little tree in the kitchen and that's the baby's tree. Do you and the kids know. They know, yeah. So it's something yeah. that you talk quite quite openly about. Um, Sinead, yeah. do you... Do you do anything to recognise or, you know, acknowledge, like Siobhan said, Judith? Yeah, so when when we had the miscarriages, um, we used to head down to the beach and colour in rocks. And um, we we only named one of the our little ones. Um, so my daughter actually named him Charlie. Um, so yeah, it would be a, a regular thing. We would talk openly about yeah. about Charlie because that's the only one that I'd actually told the, the kids about. Um but I, yeah, I mean, I remember them all the time. I have candles lighting in the house. I, you don't forget it. Like your due date comes around and the the, always the dark cloud comes over for the couple of days. And, you know, it's it's always a, I'm extremely lucky. You know, I have Albie now who is 20 months, as I said, and he is just the world's greatest, most beautiful distraction. Um, so I, I feel incredibly lucky to have him after everything we went through. But it doesn't take away from 
what we went through and it certainly doesn't take away from the, the four little ones that we lost either. Mm. Um, I think it's really important. You, do you know what? It, as I said, it's a very personal thing and you well, will find your own way yeah. to deal with it and to cope. Even you know? from talking to you and, and Siobhan today, you know, the story's so different and so similar in so many ways and I'm, you know, yeah. thinking even of friends of mine today in, in the back of my mind as we're chatting actually in their stories and how there's similarities and, and overlap and how some of them can can be so varied and different as well. Um, I've, I'm on the line. Do you know what? Actually, I'm going to just take a very short break. Um, Sinead and Siobhan, though, thank you like most sincerely for joining us today and sharing your stories with us because I know it's it's not easy to, to talk about it. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We're talking about miscarriage and why we don't offer more supports um, to people, to couples and to women after a miscarriage in this country. Um, we've heard from both Sinead and Siobhan on the show a few moments ago there, just got in touch to tell us their stories, their experience. I have another text as well here from a listener um, who says, I want to share my story. In 2019, I had a miscarriage. My employer at the time was a very large company, um, a pension company. They dealt with it so badly. One senior female manager commented, at least you won't have to take mat leave now. Another colleague, a male, told me I should knuckle down to get over it. This company publishes its um, diversity and inclusion policies, but in practice it means nothing. It's an important conversation. I no longer work there, but I'm still concerned. I do work in HR and it's so important to reassure women that it's okay to talk about this and to get support. So much more needs to be done about it. I mean, that's it's pretty incredible. There are the comments that somebody in 2019 is hearing in their workplace and, and that particular person is, to say, working uh, within the area of HR. Um, Emma's with us on the line today. Emma Walker is from the Miscarriage Association of Ireland. Um, Emma, why do we not have more miscarriage leave for people in Ireland? I think... Um and I know, obviously, there's been, you know, there's some movement now. But I think, really, I think it's down to the history of kind of stigma around miscarriage, I suppose. You know, the silent grieving, it can be a hidden loss. Um, I know, just from talking to, or hearing Sinead and Siobhan there, just say around the, you know, you know, we have the right to kind of say, yes, we are pregnant. And yes, we uh, have had a miscarriage or not, and that's, you know, to our loved ones or in a workplace. But I think even that um, is kind of related to the stigma. So we don't have, you know, the way, you know, in relation to bereavement, we don't have the social rituals like funerals, card giving, you know, all those things that we have when someone else dies belonging to us. So I think then when it comes to um, workplaces, I think, like, it's around education, I think, and, and like that stigma in relation to many things in Ireland, it's only by, you know, shedding a light, talking about it, listening to, like, what is needed. You know, if you had a HR now kind of listening to Sinead and Siobhan, hearing even, you know, protect, protracted time periods, you know, miscarriage, mm. you know, it's not one size fits all. It's a long time. But I think when we're, when we're educated and we have the information, it allows us then to kind of really make informed decisions, you know. Um, and and so it's, it's historical and like that. And it'll take cultural change. Mm. 
So, I mean, you know, and we've seen it, you know, there, like, say, with a little kind of spearheaded in Ireland, and then I know AIB and Bank of Ireland, you know, the, these companies have brought in paid miscarriage. And, of course, you know, we have the reproductive leave bill. It's in the Shannon now. And I know that's accounting for up to 20 days. And can't you see why when you hear even, say, your Sinead story or Siobhan? We're yeah. not talking two or three days no. here, you know, it can be really, really long. And of course, New Zealand have brought it in and we're all hooray, hooray. But we need to see that now. But to answer your question, I think it is in our in the, in the our culture here, it is in relation to the stigma and that hidden grief. So kind of bringing that out and talking about it like we do other things, you know, it normalises it then, doesn't mm. it? And to even hear that validation. I wrote validation in capital letters when I was listening to the two ladies there. And when a government does something like this and grants miscarriage leave to say, look, this is the way we do things in our culture in this country, it is so validating. You know, when we heard about Lidl, I mean, I was so excited. I was jumping around the house here. But it also kind of brought sadness as well. It was like, my goodness, but we have this now, but let's keep going. You know, um, there, there's a lot there's a lot to do. But the thing is, you know, and I suppose that when you talk about things that were said in workplaces there, people saying things that can be unhelpful. I know, like, we've done up a document that can be helpful for our employers. It includes a section on helpful things to say to a colleague, you know, that has had a miscarriage. Yeah. Unhelpful things to say. Um, and, and among other things, you know, how can you communicate when you hear from an employee that somebody, you know, that they've had a miscarriage or going through or a partner, somebody's had partner had, and then right through. So, I th- and that is, and like, I mean, we're sharing that because this is what we hear in our support meetings all of the time. The, you know, the, the lack of understanding and not knowing. And also that, like, oh, will I say, won't I say, you know, and, and, and that kind of, I think it does come down to, we need to normalize this. Mm. We need well, to have it. Oh, miss, okay, you got miscarriage leave. Okay, that's good. You know, it's in the language then. That's part of the reason, Emma, we wanted to chat about this on, on the programme today because, as, as I said, it's not it's not my story, but I know from talking to mm. friends in recent times, you can you can really see the trauma that they're that they're going through. And I use the word trauma, mm. and I don't use it lightly because it, it that's what yeah. struck me. It is grief, and it is bereavement. Yeah, um, it is. And yet, for every other type of you know bereavement that, that we go through, we do have time that we set aside and we kind of we acknowledge that you know people need to grieve after you know the loss of uh, a spouse or you know a parent Mm -hmm. and there is time I suppose set for that but yet we don't have any time that we seem to set aside only up to a certain point you know within the pregnancy for for people that are going through a miscarriage. Linda's on the line as well Emma. Linda you've been listening to Sinead and Siobhan today in the programme. You wanted to share your story. Hi, yeah, Andrea. Um, our baby would have been nine this September, um, and it, coincidentally, we also named her Charlie. I say her because I always believed that we were going to have a girl. Um, but yeah, it's you know one thing for us that I think people need to understand in all of this is that for me, and I can only talk for me, is that from the very minute I saw that positive result on my on that pregnancy stick. I knew my baby. I I met my baby that day. Um, from the very first time, I felt that wave of sickness. That was me meeting my baby. You know, that was a... And every little thing like that was a reminder that I had a life inside of me. And that life needed me to grow. 
And I will never, ever forget that moment when I first started to bleed. And I went to the hospital. My husband was with me and we saw the little heartbeat. And it was very, very faint, but it was beaten. And that was our baby fighting for life. And there was nothing I could do. All I could do was go home and rest and pray. And then I remember when I bled again. And I remember having to wait a whole weekend before I could get a scan. It was a long weekend, bank holiday. And um, that scan will live with me forever. I went in. There was a whole load of doctors around the bed, the sonographer there, and it was deathly silent. And I knew in my heart, I knew, sorry, I knew that little heart had stopped beating. And I remember asking, what's going on? And again, silence. And what seemed like forever afterwards, I asked again, and the sonographer pulled this, put down the wand, pushed the screen towards me, and she showed me my pregnancy. And she said, I can see your pregnancy. But she said, I am so sorry, but there is no heartbeat. And at that moment, my world and my husband's world stood still. There was no feeling. And that's what people don't understand, because I think a lot of people, when they hear of miscarriage, the death of a baby, of a child, is horrific and terrible at any time. But when it happens during pregnancy, people don't have that Facebook picture. They have never held the baby. They've never seen the baby. So therefore, to them, the baby wasn't real. But to the parents, that baby was very real. And we, like I said, we named our baby Charlie. Mm. Um, we believed we were going to have a little girl. And uh, she would have been due, her birthday would have been the 15th of September, although I more than likely would have gone early like I did on the others. Um, but she's talked about, my my daughter talks about her, my son talks about her, because for us, she was our family. Um, and people... On the outside, whether it's your employer, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your family, they don't know how to talk to you or what to say. But the thing is, they don't have to say anything. Yeah. A hug is is nice. To acknowledge the fact that you were pregnant, the fact that you lost your baby, to acknowledge the baby. But people feel uncomfortable talking about something or a baby or a child or a life that they never saw they never knew existed or do you know what I mean and that needs to that needs to be broken there needs to be a lot more education and understanding about miscarriage because it is still a taboo um do you and it's no sorry Linda I don't want to cut across here it's um okay I you know it's uh, I, I appreciate you telling your story today because it's it's obviously it's so so difficult and I'm thinking of you there talking about the the date, yeah. you know, next month, and I'm sure now yeah. over the next four weeks, it's it's very much in your mind and your family's mind. Do do you do anything on on the date and to mark? I don't, it? We don't we don't do anything in particular, but I always have her in my 
in my mind. Well, there's very rarely a week. Like I said, it's nine years. And there's very rarely a week goes by that I don't think about her. I don't think... Um, there's never a time that I don't think about what she'd be doing. I look at my son, who I had the following year, and I think, you know, Charlie would be his age, or Charlie would be doing this. When he started school, they're so close in age that all of his milestones reminds me of hers. Um, And so on the due date, I just have a moment to myself to think about her because, like I said, Every t- I think about her all the time, and my husband thinks mm-hmm. about her all the time. So, um, and like I said, we I I went early on on the other two, so that I probably would have gone five weeks. She probably would have been born in August. But um, yeah, but it is like I said, I'm I'm really glad that you are talking about this on the radio because it's so important, and um, that people understand. Do you would would having <sighs> time you know and and do you, do you think linda the you know for for people to be able to take some time and and to acknowledge what it is like to say that it's it's you know miscarriage leave and whether it's at 6 weeks or 12 weeks or 14 weeks that you know you or Sinead or Siobhan that were with us a little earlier telling their stories you know were able to say well i'm you know i've had a miscarriage and i'm going to i i need i want to take miscarriage yeah. leave would would that help? Would it, as Emma say, said earlier, would it like validate what happened rather than making people take sick leave for not an illness? I think, yeah, I don't think sick leave is right. I don't think it should be sick leave. I mean, everybody needs time to grieve. Um, you know, I wasn't working outside the home at the time. Um, but when I think about like when my, my parents died, um, my sister, for instance, was given compassionate leave. And I think compassionate leave is what should be available for um, pregnancy, for miscarriage, and it should be included in that. It's not sickness. It's a compassionate leave. I know, Emma, that that's something that's it's often very upsetting for people. And like both of the, you know, Sinead and, and Siobhan that were with us earlier too made the point that like it's not everybody maybe has told their employer or even wants to tell their employer at that stage that they're they're pregnant and then they've had a miscarriage. But like what what it, at the moment we're is it twenty days that's the I don't want to talk about it in headline figures, but it's twenty days, Emma, isn't it? That that's what's being discussed at the moment. You know, Labour put forward. I suppose it could be brought forward in legislation in different ways. But um, yeah, the bill that Labour put forward, it was to account for up to 20 days. Um, And like that, wouldn't it really depend on, you know, you know, what's needed physically, what's needed medically? Also, you know, how is the person responding to their grief as well? You know, some and what we find in our support meetings is a lot of people might kind of keep on, they might go back quite quickly. And then realise a few weeks down the line, oh my goodness, I really, like, I, I wasn't ready. We have this kind of, you know, this, okay, get back and do and do. But I think it all kind of, it does all kind of like stem back to, you know, is this okay? Is this the norm? Should I be doing this? Is this, 
you know, is this right? So it kind of comes back to, and that's why I was saying about the validation, because mm. when it is there, you know, those questions are, you know, we don't need to kind of have that confusion and that narrative question in ourselves because that can bring on, um, you know, it's very confusing. You can end up very hard on yourself as well. You know, then if you don't say, and also I know I did that once about going back to work and then, oh, like to raise my head and then say, actually, I'm not doing well here. And I knew very quickly after two days, I actually need a bit of time. But when we don't have something there to even refer to in a HR pod, policy and in fairness I suppose you know for a manager a team leader they don't have either I look to you be know, fair some people are just you know in their nature or maybe it's the policy of the company they're compassionate yes. empathetic people and, and if they see a and colleague is yeah you know yeah. struggling and that's and, what you're depending on but it's but the you good will always have those yeah, the person you go it's to. discretion. Yeah, it's discretion. So we need it standard. You know, we need it standardized. Yeah. You know, yeah, like the maternity strategy for what's you know how we treat people when they are coming in having a miscarriage. Like that, then this is, I suppose, you know, the other end of it, isn't it? Do you find Linda? Like, do you find you know even talking about this today? And I appreciate talking on, on you know talking on the radio and getting in touch with us isn't. It's not always a, an easy thing to do. But do you find is there some comfort? from chatting about it today? There is, because I just... I mean, I have a daughter. I have two. I have a stepdaughter and my own daughter. And I would hate for them to go through... I wouldn't want anyone to experience what we went through. But I would like to think that when my daughter grows up, when she is older, if, God forbid, she should experience anything like this, that she's experiencing it in a far more compassionate and understanding world. So I think for her and for all the other parents out there, I think it's important that it is talked about. And the only way is for people who have experienced that to talk out. Mm. Joel, and not to be afraid to talk about that. There's quite quite a number of people, and actually, you know, getting in touch now today. Because I, I said to people at the start of the show, if you feel up to telling your story, you know, you can give us a call or yeah. drop me in an email. And it seems quite quite a few people are, are doing just that. So we're actually going to stay with this uh, with this conversation and why we don't offer more supports to women after a miscarriage. Lunchtime live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We're talking about um, supports and offering more supports to women after a miscarriage, and in particular, asking why there isn't more miscarriage leave, if you want to call it that, rather than, you know, people taking sick leave or maybe bereavement leave after they've gone through a miscarriage. And a lot of people getting in touch with us today. The email address is lunchtimelive at newstalk.com. Linda and Emma are still with us and and I want to thank Linda as well, in particular, for getting in touch and sharing her own experience with us on the show. Um, Professor Keelan O'Donoghue is a consultant obstetrician at Cork University Maternity Maternity Hospital and one of the country's um, foremost clinicians on pregnancy loss as well. Keelan, like, it's really clear to see today from talking to Sinead and Siobhan and Linda and Emma that there is need for change on this and on how we deal with miscarriage loss. And thank you for uh, choosing to cover this topic, topic and spend so much time on this. And I think your contributors have touched on so many areas of relevance um, around, you know, awareness and, and information and, and care experience. But if we come back to that kind of workplace support issue, 
Um, pregnancy loss is unfortunately a relatively common complication of pregnancy in all its different forms. And we, we absolutely know, and your contributors have, um, have very eloquently gone through their own very personal stories about the impact this has on women, men and their wider families. And navigating workplace issues can certainly add further difficulties to that. You know, most women who experience first or second trimester miscarriage are in the workforce. Almost 80% of women of reproductive age were in Ireland's workforce in 2019. And so they do return to work soon after pregnancy loss. And in Ireland, mandatory paid time off, which some of your contributors mentioned, mm. is only available to people who have a pregnancy loss after 24 weeks, because that is currently the point, and it's a rather outdated definition, at which a pregnancy is considered viable. Now, individual workplaces do have the right, and some of them are doing this, to decide their own policies and practices. But that obviously leads to um, quite a lot of, of variation. So for many women, as you've heard, they, they don't um, necessarily have a choice and do return to work and still can be experiencing quite a high level, sometimes of physical distress as well as psychological distress. Sometimes they won't have disclosed that pregnancy at work and that grief then remains unrecognized. And whatever about the impact on the person and their immediate family, I mean, this does also for employers have negative effects on employees at work and within work teams and organizations. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, there is, I think it's right that more attention is being paid to the possibility of introducing statutory leave following such pregnancy loss and also consideration to wider, you know, policies within different okay. workplaces. And I can talk a little bit more about what's going on about that. Yeah, well, just I have um, Annie Howey actually is uh, is the Labour Senator and Annie is with us as well, Keelan, on the show because Annie, that, that statutory um, leave, that's something that you're pushing for. Yeah, so we've actually in the Labour Party written legislation that would facilitate this. It's our reproductive leave legislation. So I think that term kind of covers not only people who suffer from that early miscarriage, but also compassionate leave for fertility treatments uh, or for reproductive health. And and so we in our legislation, and we would love to see, you know, I think it's very clear from the response here that this is something that deeply affects people. So I hope the government sit up and listen and fast track this legislation. So our legislation would offer... 20 days compassionate leave for early miscarriage, so the before the 24 weeks, and 10 days compassionate leave for fertility treatments or reproductive health reasons. And that compassionate leave could be, uh, you know, also men and women or non-binary people, you know, for, for that reproductive health, because it's not just, uh, sometimes those treatments are just for, for the woman. So it's 20 days compassionate leave for early miscarriage, 10 days uh, leave for fertility treatments or IVF or reproductive health reasons. And we think this is a really reasonable thing. Uh, it's bringing empathy and dignity um, for people who are going through this experience. Um, and, and it's giving accommodation for workers. And what is it? Not an easy time. Yeah. Again, you've had some really powerful testimony there. This is not easy for people to go through. And people are hiding things. They're hiding their suffering or they're hiding that they need to travel for IVF treatment. You know, all of these things. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a huge uh, burden on the individual, their partner, their family, and they're carrying it alone. So as we said, this legislation, reproductive leave, 20 days for early miscarriage. 10 days compassionate leave for fertility treatment. And there's no reason the government can't move pretty quickly so on where, that. So where is that, Annie, at the minute? It is, it's a, it's a bill that's been published. It's, it's gone through its first stage. And uh, as sometimes happens with opposition piece of legislation, it can kind of be left um, teetering in the brink. 
So we're hoping when we come back in the new uh, Dáil term that we will see uh, there will be negotiations and that we would see some movement for government on that. Government can, of course, propose their own legislation doing the exact same thing. We're not precious about it. What we want to see is that this legislation actually happens. Mm. Well, would, would, like, is, is that, Keelan, as somebody that's dealing you know, with, with people going through this on a daily basis, is it sufficient? Do you think it needs to yeah. be stronger or strengthened? What's your view on that? Sure. Well, I suppose I can update you a little bit around that because my research group has been commissioned by the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth to undertake research for them to establish a little bit more around what type of policy interventions are required. So we've actually reviewed international legislation and employment policies for them around that and reviewed what companies in Ireland are providing. And we've also conducted a national survey to which around 900 people in Ireland answered around what people experience and what they want, and also done some qualitative one-to-one work with women and men who've experienced pregnancy loss and then around those workplace issues. So that report is going to be presented to the department in September. And I guess they've, they're trying to, to find out like what's the right thing to do here? What do people want? And what people will be very different as we've heard yeah, in the show. Like what to, yeah, what do we call this leave? And, and does it vary according to the type or maybe how long, how far along the pregnancy loss is? Is it paid? Of course, we, we would suggest, yes, it, it would be paid leave. Who certifies it? Um, and, and, you know, what, um, what happens in recurrent scenarios of pregnancy loss, like some of the women you heard from earlier said. Mm. So if we look at what goes on internationally, you know, this is something of, in, of um, I suppose, increased interest around the world. There are some jurisdictions who have brought this in, either calling it compassionate bereavement leave or adding it to sick leave entitlement. New Zealand would have been the first country to do that. And both New Zealand and Australia are quoted a lot in this. But it's important to say they've introduced um, three and two days respectively in terms of their leave requirement. And for many people, indeed, for many people, that might not be enough. So we've certainly reviewed what countries around the world, be they high income or middle income Mm. countries are doing. And, you know, the range of leave that's on that's offered and how that might vary according to the woman's personal or medical needs and the type of pregnancy loss. I think there's no doubt that people want leave after miscarriage. They want access to that. That returning to work too early takes an emotional toll on them. And further, that workplaces need training in this in this area. And I know not everybody even would want Keelan then to necessarily, you know, tell their employee. So how do you, you know, how do you go around that? Because some people disclose because they want to or they're in a supportive working environment and some don't feel they should have to. And we need to respect that. But a certain amount does come back to what one of your contributors mentioned about that awareness um, of pregnancy loss, that understanding yeah, the validation. Heard from many of your contributors that they were unprepared for this. They're not well prepared by education, by our societal conversations and by us as healthcare professionals sometimes. Mm. Well, look, it's a conversation that, you know, I, I thought it was important to have it on the programme and a lot of people have been getting in touch with us, you know, over the course of the two hours today to chat about it. If people want to talk about this, like, I'm quite happy to do that. Quite happy to set time aside tomorrow and, and chat to people about it. You can drop me an email. It's lunchtime live at newstalk.com. But for the moment, Professor Keelan O'Donoghue and Labour Senator Annie Hoey, thanks to you both for joining us in particular as well, actually, Siobhan and Sinead and Linda um, for sharing your personal stories with us too on the show today. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan 
Weekdays at midday on News Talk.